preaching this morning, Sermon 4 of a series we're doing, studying the gospel as it's found in Genesis. I do have several, 26 verses this morning. I prayed about possibly not reading them all, but I need to read every one of them this morning. And I'll ask you one last time, please stand in the honor of the reading of the Word of God, and I'll allow you to be seated the remainder of the service. Genesis chapter 19, we'll begin in verse 1. The Word of God says, Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night, and wash your feet, and then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, No, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly, so they turned into him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called the lot and said to him, What are the men? Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. In other words, where are the men that are in your house? Bring them to us, that we may have sex with them. So Lot went out to them through the doorway and shut the door behind him and said, Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you, and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. And they said, Stand back. Then they said, This one came to stay here, and he acts as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in this city, take them out of this place. For we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who had married his daughters, and said, Get up and get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But his sons-in-law, to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Let's go ahead and look at verse 23. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zor. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord Lord out of the heavens. 
So he overthrew those cities, all of the plain, all of the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. Let us pray. Father, we love you this morning. God, we are honored for the opportunity to simply come together to worship you, the supreme creator of heaven and earth. Father, we thank You that You've loved us enough, Lord, to open our eyes that we might see the need for a Savior. And Lord, while I love the opportunity to worship You with Your people, with my brothers and my sisters in the faith, God, I pray that now, Lord, You would anoint me to preach this morning. God, not some sermon that was cleverly crafted in my mind, Lord, not anything even from my heart, but Lord, this morning, help me to preach in the power and in the demonstration of the Holy Ghost of God. Lord, I pray that You would save sinners this morning. God, that You would open the eyes of the blinded hearts of men and women and they would see their need for You this morning. And God, they would come to know You in the free pardon of sin. Father, I pray that this would be a timely word to Your saints this morning that are dabbling in the land of Sodom. And God, that You would open our eyes to see the need to flee from everything that is evil and serve You and You only. God, we ask that You would have Your way this morning. God, that You would work amongst us. And Lord, we'll be careful to give You and You only the honor and the glory and the praise for what You can only do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Brother, would you mute the rest of the mics up here? I think it's given me a ring. I'm not sure. Before I can get to Genesis chapter 19, I just want to very quickly... Ask the question, where did this all start? Most people, even if they don't know anything about the Bible, have heard of the two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a, just, it's a term that's used worldwide to deal with supreme wickedness. And the story that I just read you about the life of Lot in the land of Sodom and Gomorrah, when you read of the wickedness of these people, if you're anything like me, something turns inside of my stomach and I think, how could a people be so wicked? And there are times when I look at the news today and I think about some of the things that happen even in our society, that same feeling of sickness in, the, in my inner, just deep inside me, something turns when I think about the wickedness of people. But I want to ask the question before we really deal with Genesis 19, how in the world did Lot end up in Sodom? What was he doing living in that city, in that wicked place, raising a family there? You don't have to turn with me, but in Genesis chapter 13, if you know the story, Abram had disobeyed the Lord and, and, and ran away from where he was supposed to be in the land of Egypt. And he brought Lot with him, and can I tell you this morning that Abraham eventually came up out of Egypt and he went back to the place God had told him to be. And when he did so, he brought Lot with him out of Egypt, but he was never able to get Egypt out of Lot. There are places that we go. There are things that these eyes see. There are experiences that we can have. And if you're not careful, you'll find yourself in a place doing things seeing things, hearing things, and, and, and being part of things that you should never have been part of. And when you finally make the decision, you're out of this place, there's something wrong with this land, it will haunt you the rest of your life. 
Abraham said to Lot. He said, Lot, you've got too many cattle and too many herdsmen for all of us to live on the same land. You pick a, a plot of land and you can have it and I'll take the other, the other plot. If you want to live over here, then you live over there and I'll go that way. And the Bible says in, in verse 10 of chapter 13, Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go toward Zor. The Bible tells us that Lot had a fascination with Egypt. There was something about that place when Abram had taken him there that Lot continually thought about the place of Egypt. There was something about its allure. There was something about its majesty. There was something, if you will, about the lights and the, and, and the people and the wealth and all that was there that was fascinating to him. And he couldn't but think to himself, I want something like Egypt. And he took that land and he began to move that way and he began to raise up a family there. And it's not but a few chapters later, we find this man Lot living in one of the most wicked environments that man could ever live in. Can I tell you that Egypt is deceptive? And if you're not real familiar with your Bible, you need to know that in the Bible, the land of Egypt always represents the world. Everything that is not of God. It was in Egypt that God's children became slaves and God had to lead them out of the land of Egypt through the Red Sea to freedom. Egypt is a picture of the world. Can I tell you, the world has an allure to us. The world, it, it, it tries to draw us in and it gives us empty promises and empty, and it lies to us and it says it will satisfy us. But it's not long before you take your residence there that you find yourself doing things you ought not never do, thinking things you ought never think, and being a certain way that you should never be. Egypt has an allure, but it sure is deceptive. And Lot found himself in the middle of Sodom and Gomorrah. He'd been deceived a few years earlier by the lights of Egypt. And he began walking by sight, not by faith, living for the things of the world instead of the things of God. Secondly, today I want us to see in our text the potential of evil. Again, the sins of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, they leave us feeling sick inside. Can I say again that Egypt is a deception? It'll leave you empty, bankrupt, and all alone. In Genesis chapter 18, you want to know how wicked Sodom and Gomorrah was? In Genesis chapter 18, God told Abraham he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham said, God, will you destroy it for... 50 righteous, what about 40 righteous, 30 righteous, 20 righteous? He said, God, if you could find 10 righteous men in that entire land, would you not destroy the city? God said, I will not destroy it for 10 righteous. And yet we find God destroyed the city. You know why? There wasn't 10 righteous there. It was a wicked, evil place. The potential 
of evil is so vast beyond our imagination. Can I tell you, I think we become desensitized to evil. We see so much sin, so much violence, so much sex, so much drugs, alcohol, partying, selfishness. We see so much of it on the television. We hear it. We're raised in it. And we become desensitized to the horror of it. And we don't realize the potential that evil has to destroy a land and a nation. Think about the picture. He brings in these two visitors into his home. And at night, all the men, young and old, all the people from every quarter, they surround the house. They say, bring those men out to us that we might rape them. And what is Lot's response? It's horrible. Now, don't do this to my visitors. I've got some daughters that you can have. Can I tell you this morning, and listen to me carefully, when you refuse to follow God and you refuse to flee from what is wicked and you dabble around in the things of the world and you find yourself focusing on Egypt and continually thinking about how you can get more and more of all this world has to offer, you will eventually find yourself doing wild and crazy things that you never thought yourself capable of. The potential of evil is an incredible thing. Terrible thing that's difficult for us to grasp how far it can really take us. This morning, Romans 15.4, a New Testament passage, tells us that whatever things were written before were written for our learning. That we, through patience and the comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. You know, it has been said that if we do not learn from history, we're doomed to commit the same mistakes. It's also been said the only thing that we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. There is a war being waged today between what is right and what is wrong. You know there is a right and there is a wrong. We live in a crazy society where schools are teaching our children that morality is relative. Everything's relative. If God's real for you, then great. If God's not real for you, then that's fine. Just find some higher power or look inside yourself. Who's to say this is right? Who's to say that's right? There is a, way, there is a war being waged between what is right and what is wrong. And there is a right and there is a wrong, by the way. And I don't decide it and you don't decide it. The Word of God sells it for us. There is one God. And He is the supreme authority. He decides what is right. He decides what is wrong. But there is a war that's being waged. And it's found fought, if you will, in four main places. First of all, the individual. In James 4, 7, the Bible says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You know, you have to resist the devil. You've got to resist the devil. There's more to being a Christian than simply praying, God, just keep me from any troubles. The devil's going to come knocking. The, the, the enemy's going to come. You're going to be tempted. You're going to be tried. And you've got to learn to resist everything that's evil, to flee from the very appearance of it. This war between what is right and what is wrong, it is fought in the individual heart. 
This morning, I have no doubt that the majority of us in here this morning are fighting questions about what is right, what is wrong. Should I do this or should I not do this? Should I act this way or not act that way? And I tell you, we have to let the Word of God settle it for us. The war of what is right and wrong is also fought in the family. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 9 says, Only take heed to yourself and be diligent to keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. And listen to this, and teach them to your children and your grandchildren. The war between what is right and wrong also needs to be fought in the home. Parents, you need to be teaching your children what is right and what is wrong. You need to be teaching them how to live right. You need to be teaching them what is truth. And you need to be doing a whole lot more than lip service, saying, do as I say and not as I do. We can't teach our children... Uh, excuse me, we can't fail to teach our children truth. We can't fail to teach our children what is right and what is wrong and then expect them when they grow up to live right, to follow God and to do the things that are right. And you can't, I've said this a few weeks ago, I'll say it again, you also can't drop your children off at our church for two hours a week and hope that we do a good job teaching your children what is right and what is wrong. We need parents again to parent children in this nation. We're living in a generation where children are raising up parents. Parents are afraid to spank their children. Did you know spanking is biblical? This isn't even on my notes. Where am I going this morning? It says the rod of correction is for the back of those that are foolish. You don't punish your children when they don't, don't do well in sports, when you don't think they didn't try hard enough. You don't punish them when, when, for, for crazy things, but foolishness. And foolishness is turning against the will of God. Parents need to teach your children what is right and wrong. The war over right and wrong in this country it starts with the individual, then it moves to the family, and then it moves to the church. As a church, we have some responsibility too to be preaching the truth. Romans 16, verses 17 and 18. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the people. When the individual won't flee from what's wrong, he's going to lose the family. And when we lose the family, we pretty much lose the influence of the church. But can I tell you, as a church, we have a responsibility to fight the war over what is right and what is wrong. We have a responsibility to preach the truth. And I don't know how it happened, but I do know this. It has happened. The church in this nation has grown coward. We're afraid to speak the truth. Everybody said, well, that's offensive. Don't say that. You can't say this. Don't be offensive here, Pastor. You can't talk to this issue or that issue. Don't talk on marriage because too many people have been divorced. Don't talk on this because too many people live together these days. Don't talk on this or that. Just, just, just give a happy little message where everybody feels good about themselves and they leave excited that the pastor thinks they're great. Hey, if that's what you're hoping for, and first of all, you'd be new to this church because you know that don't come from me. But you won't find that here. 
We have a responsibility to preach truth. And we need not be afraid of being called out for, for speaking the truth. If the church isn't going to preach the truth of the gospel, who else will? If we won't stand up for what's right and just say the truth, you can't do that. It's wrong. It's sin. God says it's an abomination to Him. Turn from it. Flee from it. Who else will? There is a war between what is right and what is wrong. And those of you that are probably over 40 years old in this place, I'm convinced you don't really know how much that war is going on. I hear especially the senior citizens of our society say, why do kids act the way they act these days? They didn't act that way back in my day. That's because back in that day, the culture itself embraced what was right and what was wrong. Teachers didn't... Uh, wow, I'm just getting out there today. Do you understand that in Massachusetts last week, a school board voted unanimously to give first graders condoms? What is happening to our culture? We're losing the battle over what is right and what is wrong. Not by majority vote, unanimously. It is time we wake up and realize the danger that we are in. We have been silent too long. We have allowed the enemy to come in and use fear tactics like, I'm getting ahead of myself, fear tactics like they did with Lot. Hey, we'll do worse with you than what we're going to do with them if you don't shut your mouth. Well, then do worse with me. Lock me up and put me in a prison. I will speak the truth. I will preach the truth. There is a right. There is a wrong. And as a church, we've got a responsibility to stand up and preach there is one God. His name is Jesus Christ. You must repent of your sins and place your faith in Him. Or judgment is coming. We have a responsibility. The war is also fought in the nation. Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalts the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Righteousness exalts the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. I can't change the leaders of our country. You're always going to have some good ones. You're always going to have some bad ones. As a Christian, you need to learn to respect the office. But you need to be voting. You need to be part of this nation. You need to do your part as a citizen to vote for the people that you believe are best suited for the job of leading our country where we need to go. I want to look now specifically to chapter 19. And I want to learn some lessons from Lot and his family. The first thing I want to say this morning is that if you live in Sodom long enough, Sodom will eventually begin to live in you. You live in Sodom long enough, and Sodom will eventually live in you. There's no way I could count the number of people that have told me they were Christians. Some of them very well might have been. And yet refused to flee from the wickedness and the filth of this world. They wanted to dabble in it. They wanted to go to this place, that place. And it's not long. 
before they're not in the church anymore. They don't really love God like they used to. There's no deep, deep passion for what is right and serving God and bringing glory to His name. Because the longer that you dabble in Sodom and the more that you pitch your, your tent there, the, the more that Sodom begins to live in you and in your heart. And we see this happen in the life of, of Lot and his family. There are serious consequences to pay from allowing the world to live in our hearts. When Sodom lives in the hearts of men, here we are, respect for parents, decline. Verse 14, so Lot, so, so Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who had married his daughters and said, get up and get out of this place for the Lord will destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. They took the advice from their father as if it were a joke. Now before I deal with their disrespect, let me say this. Lot had lost his testimony. I'm not going to pin all of this on those kids. But Lot had lost his testimony. Lot was as serious as he could be when he came saying, this place is going to be destroyed. The judgment of God is coming. And his children looked at him and laughed at him. Dad, you're going to get all serious about God now? You're the one that decided for us to live right here in this cesspool of wickedness. And now you're all serious about fleeing from it? They thought he was joking. He had lost his testimony. He had lost his influence with his family. And when it came to the things of righteousness, when it came to the things of God, the words that came out of his mouth were like nothing to his children. You see, when you dabble in the world, and you turn your eyes to Egypt, and you turn away from the Lord, you lose your testimony with it. You lose your influence with people. But I want to deal with the reality of the disrespect of the children. It is a shameful day that we live in. The way that children disrespect their parents. I want to read to you Leviticus 29, just so you know what God thinks about children disrespecting their parents. If you don't like it, you can take it up with God. For everyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood shall be upon him. Now this is Old Testament. We don't live by the law anymore. But it does give us some insight to how God sees the children that are disrespectful to their parents. I don't really know how to fix our society, and that's not my job. I don't have a mission to fix our society. I'm just preaching the truth of the gospel, and God's going to do whatever God's going to do. But I know with my family, I will discipline my children, and they will not be disrespectful. And as Christians, we need to do the same. It is amazing the disrespect that children have for their parents. And it's generally dealt with in two ways. Either we laugh about it. Oh, that's so cute. Terrible twos. My children didn't have terrible twos. They had a year while they were two years old of terrible spankings. Ask them. They did. 
We'll either joke about it or we just ignore it. Listen to me carefully this morning. God doesn't ignore it. And God doesn't joke about it. And I don't have the young ones in here, but you listen to me. If you're disrespectful to your parents, you need to know this. They might overlook it, and they might do nothing about it, but God sees everything you do, friend, and you will answer for it. When Sodom lived in the hearts of people, we see disrespect to parents. We also see a reluctance to flee from evil. In verse 15, the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand. What is he waiting on to get out of there? I don't have the answer this morning, but I can tell you that when the world lives in our hearts, there is a reluctance to flee from evil. We know it's evil. We don't argue that it's not. We know it's wickedness. We know this place is filled, if you will. The land of Sodom, it's filled with horrible people. But for some strange reason, they're reluctant to leave. There are some of you this morning, you're reluctant to leave the things of the past and the old world behind. And you're being pulled by God. It's like God Himself has grabbed your hands the same way these angels grab Lot's family. And He's pulling you out. But there's something inside you that's reluctant saying, I don't want to go. It is a dangerous, dangerous thing to let the world take root in my heart. To let what is evil become a part of my life. It'll take you further than you want to go, cost you more than you wanted to pay, and keep you longer than you wanted to stay. Despite all these horrible evils, Lot could not bring himself to leave. And what's mind-blowing about it, think about what he's leaving behind. Lewd homosexuality, sadistic behavior, and complete and total unrighteousness. Yet he couldn't bring himself to leave. Today, Christians, you're told to flee from the evils of this world. We're to flee from fornication, 1 Corinthians 6.18 idolatry, 1 Corinthians 10, 14, the love of money, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 10 and 11, and we're to flee from youthful lust in 2 Timothy 2, 22. You know what James chapter 4 and verse 4 says about those that live in friendship with the world? James says, you are adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that the friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. A friend of the world makes himself an enemy of the God of God. We must keep the world out of us this morning. Child of God, if you're dabbling in the things of the world, flee. Get out of there and get out of there now. Run as fast as you can run. We also see that when Sodom lived in the hearts of men, fear reigns in the place of faith. After the angels had told them the way of escape, we see Lot afraid that he would not be safe in the mountain. He was influenced by the sinful society of Sodom that he was conditioned to be afraid. I want to preach here just a few minutes. We also saw in verse 9, 
that when Lot decided he was going to go against the system, when Lot decided he was going to finally stand up and say, this isn't going to happen and this isn't right, they said, who are you, a judge? You ever heard that one before? That's a classic tactic that's been working for thousands of years. Oh, you're going to speak what is right? Oh, you're just going to judge me? Listen, I'm not going to judge you, but God will, and I'm warning you that He will, friend. What is right is right, and what is wrong is wrong. And that's always the tactic. Who are you to judge us? I'm not your judge, but I'm going to tell you what's right. And not only this, then they say, now listen to this, they say, we'll do with you worse than what we're going to do with them. You see, it's the tactic of fear. I could preach an entire sermon on this, so I better not. But this is a tactic. It's worked in the church. We're terrified to say anything. Don't want to say anything at work, might lose my job. Don't want to say anything at school, might get suspended. Can't even pray there now. Can't even pray in school. Yes, you can. Yep, you can. God's the supreme authority. We've been taught to be afraid. And Lot and his family were conditioned to be afraid. And if you get real about it this morning, this world is the same way. It'll act like your friends. Everything will be great. Everybody will love each other. But once you decide you're going to go against the system, you better watch out, pal. This world doesn't love you. Sodom doesn't love you. Sodom doesn't care about you. And Lot was fearful. When you live in the world, you'll find this. Child of God, if you spend any time there, you know this. Fear reigns in place of faith. Your life is fearful. Every day you're worried. You're always thinking about the worst. You're always thinking about what might go wrong. Fear reigns in place of faith. The world encourages and breeds fear. But God tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I don't have the spirit of fear. That doesn't mean nothing's ever going to go wrong in my life. Doesn't mean you're never going to be punished for standing up for what is right, but it does mean this. Our God is with us, and when I stand for Him, He's standing with me, and He is greater as He that is in me than He that is in the world. I will not be fearful of anything this world brings my way. I will not be fearful of their strange tactics where they try to scare us from speaking the truth. I will preach what is right. I will teach what is right. I will live what is right. I will speak what is right. And I will not have a spirit of fear. We also see that when Sodom lives in the heart of men, immorality becomes a way of life. In the verses preceding or leave after those that I read, Lot's daughters would eventually get their father drunk. So drunk he was out of his mind. And then they would have incest with him that they might have children. Sodom was still very much in the heart of Lot's daughters. They had regular contact with the citizens of Sodom and its influence rubbed on them. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 15.33 says. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts 
good habits. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. You say, well, preacher, I can hang out around my worldly friends and go places that you might not want to go just because you're a preacher. And I'll be fine. No, you won't. God says you're deceived. You're tricked. You believe a lie. Evil company corrupts. This is why as children of God, we are to be separate. To live a holy life. And I want to make a few things real clear. I'm just going to pause right now because most of you aren't even breathing out there. I'm going to pause for just a moment. If you know me, I'm a fun person to be around. I don't treat anybody bad or worse. In my opinion, I was just one of the worst scum, bottom of the barrel, selfish, prideful, arrogant punks you've ever met. Addicted to drugs, an alcoholic, a criminal, a convicted felon. I'm not proud of that. I'm ashamed of all those things. But you need to know something. When I'm talking to you about fleeing from what is wrong, when I'm talking to you about the reality that friendship with the world is causing you to be an enemy of God, it's for real. And you can be in this world, but not of the world. You can love people. You can get along with people. But you cannot have fellowship with darkness. It's not there. And one of the most important truths you'll understand about your Christian walk is that the longer you live in Sodom and the longer you keep your eyes on the things of the old way and the old lifestyle and that which is of Egypt, the longer you do it, the more it will begin to live in your heart and pull you away from the things of God. We have a responsibility, church, to love this world, to love the sinner and hate the sin. Thank God that God came searching for me when I was a wretch. Thank God that in my rebellious state, when I could care less about who He was, whether or not He was real or not, thank God He loved me enough as an enemy of His to send His Son to bleed and die on my behalf. Friends, when I came to know Him, I had a responsibility to turn from everything that was evil and follow Him with all my heart. That's what I'm preaching about this morning. That's what I'm talking about when I tell you you've got to flee from the things of this world. They'll pull you away from God. Immorality becomes a way of life. You cannot drink from the waters of religious error and not be affected. You cannot feed your mind on the garbage of this world without consequences. You cannot go where Satan lives and escape his influence. Two points and I'm done. And I'll be quick with them. We see the judgment of God again. God rained down brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So He overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities that grew on the ground. You realize again, we talked about those who didn't believe that the flood was coming. And you remember last week, Jesus said this. He said, just as in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. People go about their business, eating, drinking, marrying. I want you to think about this day in Sodom and Gomorrah. 
Everybody woke up. It's just a normal day. Sun was shining just like the day before. But before it was all said and done that day, God had destroyed it all. There is coming a day when the judgment of God will fall once and finally and forever. And friend, if you're not saved, unfortunately that judgment's going to fall on you. And my heart this morning is that it doesn't. My heart this morning is that you'll flee out of that place and you'll run to God and you'll find salvation in Him and Him alone. That is my heart. That day is coming. And it will come like a thief in the night. You won't know. On that day, people will wake up and nobody will know. It is the day. It is the hour. It could be today. We're planning on having a picnic again tonight at the park. He might come back before then. He might come back before I get done preaching right now. I might ought to give an altar call now soon that those of you that are not saved have the opportunity to come and know Him. There's an urgency that we need to have. And we saw that in these uh, the angels. They said, hurry! And they grabbed their hands and they pulled them out of that place. You might think I'm abrasive this morning, but I'd much rather grab your hands and do everything I could to pull you out of that place than leave you there knowing that one day judgment is coming. Think about the fire and the brimstone that rained down. In my mind, I picture the, the earth breaking up and lava being shot up in the skies and coming down just like a volcano, destroying everything. And this thought came to my mind. Those were people. Those were people. And when we read about them, it's hard for us to see their faces. But do you realize there's loved ones that you know that if they don't get saved, there's going to be a day when it's their faces in those flames. If you don't have a burden for winning lost souls, when's the last time you invited somebody to church? When's the last time you told somebody that God's coming back? You need to get right. You need to see their faces in the flames. These are real people. And judgment is coming. And finally, as I close, again we see the salvation of the Lord. He made the way out. Notice He came to where Lot was. He came to where Lot was. He said, Lot, you've got to get out of this place. You might not understand why you're here this morning. You might think your parents dragged you here. You might think you're here by coincidence, but can I tell you, you're here because God loves you and He's come to you this morning. And He said, child, I don't want you to go to that place. Come up out of there and follow me. He said, flee to the mountains. Lot was afraid of the mountains. Can I tell you this morning, it was a picture of a mountain that was coming years later. The mountain we call Mount Calvary. There's only one mountain this morning that you can flee to. And it is that mount that our Lord and Savior was crucified on a cross 
where he spread out his arms. He said, I love you this much. And they nailed nails through his arms and through his feet. And he hung there and he bled and died. This morning, have you ran to him for refuge? As our worship team comes, Lot's wife looked back. And because of that, she died. She's a picture this morning of those that are this close. It's a terrifying thought. She heard the truth. Some of her family was saved. The picture comes to mind, as a matter of fact, it's Luke chapter 17 when Jesus reminds us uh, to remember Lot's wife. And he's speaking about the end, of the, the end of the age. And he said two will be standing in a field and one will be taken and the other left. Two will be lying in a bed and one will be taken and the other will be left. Are you saved this morning? Are you really thinking you're going to make it on the, on the merits of your husband or your wife or your grandfather or your grandmother or your friend? See, you'll stand before God alone. And Lot's wife, she was this close. She heard the message. She was even being pulled against her own will. Her, her heart looked back, but she was being pulled in the right direction. She knew that wrath was coming. She knew the way of deliverance. And you think about this for a moment. She had even touched the hand of those who had come to save her. And I tell you this morning, the hand of the Savior still reached out. Some of you have been touched by it in your heart this morning, and you know it. But you've got to make the decision to come. You've got to make the decision to flee from the wrath to come. Will you flee this morning? When I preach this way, sometimes I think to myself, God, why couldn't you just give me a fun message? Heavy. If you're new here, you need to know this. We have a lot of fun here. We're not an angry people, and I'm not an angry pastor. But when you deal with the reality of hell and the fact that it's a real place, we ought to be moved with compassion. We ought to have some passion about us to get people out of that place. There is a right and there is a wrong. And this morning I'm sharing that with you. If you're lost, you need to be saved. He's coming back. Judgment is coming. Flee to Mount Calvary this morning. Put your faith in Him. You don't have to understand it all, friend. You just need to know that He is God. And you need to repent of your sins and place your faith in Him and follow Him with all of your heart.